One, two, three. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Beginning? It's the 22nd Everywhere of December. Everywhere you go. Oh, it's still going. Have we played the copyright on this? Da, 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 okay, da, anyway. Da, da, uh, da, 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 it's been looking for Christmas da, da, da. for a month. Stop. <laughs> anyway. Right. She's Ferg. I'm Heather. Together we are new... Old... Friends. Now, as the case reaches its climax, we just wanted to thank all of you for listening, for subscribing and rating the show on iTunes. It really means a lot to us. We love you! We do. We literally record these in our spare room with our baby daughter on our laps. In fact, you can possibly hear her snoring in the background. And then send them over to the fabulous Fred, who adds all his magic, and somehow we've had over 75,000 downloads, which is just incredible. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. You can still help us by spreading the word and helping others enjoy the show. It could be a perfect binge listen in a funny stretch between Christmas and New Year. Plus, who doesn't love a quiz? A hashtag NOFQuiz. Here's question 22. What was the name of the Roman midwinter festival similar to Christmas? Now, back to Artridge and crimes, clues and Christmas. Ding. Ding. Crimes, Clues and Christmas, Chapter 22 The next 24 hours or so passed in relative calm. I toasted the success of Wilson's mission with Wilson and Clancy a few more times at the club before meandering to the dining room for something to line the stomach. Then I, very sensibly, headed home, walking through streets filled with Christmas office party revellers. Here, a number of accountants arguing over the exact percentage split of the bill. There, a bunch of insurance brokers making outlandish claims. And there, a troop of unemployed actors making a show of themselves. Eventually, I made it back to my office and my little flat beyond. In the morning, I woke and rose feeling all the joys of spring, despite it being just a few days before Christmas. The winter sun was streaming through my window, and such was my feeling of having awakened from some terrible dream, I had an urge to throw the sash open and shout down at some young urchin, You boy, what day is this? (laughs) Before packing him off to get his family a large turkey. Of course, I I didn't do that. Not only was it not yet Christmas Day, but I'd committed myself to a rather costly meal this evening, which was going to make full use of any unspoken-for cash knocking about the old Artridge estate but the thought of Chasma Constance in a racy dress was more than salve enough for any financial wounds. Thinking about her outfit brought into focus my own. I'd assured her I'd slap on the old soup and fish, but would need to dig it out from the back of the wardrobe, as reasons for wearing my full evening dress had been few and far between of late. I retrieved the necessary garments and looked at them upon the hanger. A slight flush of guilt washed over me as I noted the hanger was one of Clancy's hated wireframe competitors, and I thought it could probably do with a bit of a clean-up. Out I headed to the dry cleaners, a relatively new addition to the high street, and for the life of me, I couldn't tell you how anyone cleans anything without getting it wet. But that's exactly what they claim to do, and power to them. I tottered down and handed the suit over to a woman with a face lined like a road map of the UK. Full suit, ready for tonight? She was clearly a woman of impressive observational skills. Five bob! My wallet keenly felt the blow, but I was willing to turf over the necessary in order to look my dashing best that evening. While I waited for my clothes to be cleaned, I took the opportunity to head back to the office and catch up on my correspondence, Christmas cards to family members and the like. We Artridges aren't the wealthiest family, but I have a couple of aged old aunts who it behooves me to stay in touch with, lest they take a trip to that country from whose born no weary traveller e'er returns and fail to leave me a little something in their will. 
and it was thus with little odd jobs that I whiled away the tedious hours between waking and the appointed time to collect chairs. However, just after I collected my tuxedo and thrown the thing on, accessorising a lapel with a lovely silver brooch in the form of an orchid, my telephone started to ring. Ring, ring, it went. I looked at it. Telephones are limited in their vocabulary, and so it repeated, ring, ring. I didn't move. Why my inertia, you ask? Well, truth be told, I was concerned it was Chaz calling me up to say she thought it over, and on reflection, an evening in my company sounded worse than being flayed alive by some angry clansman from north of Hadrian's Wall. And even the legendary feast that is the Christmas menu at the Ritz was not enough to entice her to endure that. Eventually, for the liver of Peter Artridge is not a lily, I manfully picked up the receiver. Hello? Artridge speaking. Ah, Mr Artridge. I'm so pleased I caught you. I recognised the lisp instantly. It was Rudy Lightfoot. My heart turned thumbertholf. My date with Chaz was still on. Is that Rudy? I asked, relief flooding through me. Yes. I didn't know who to call. I didn't want to speak with the police, but I need to speak with someone. Despite sticking with his pretentious lisp, I could hear the nerves in his voice. What's wrong, Rudy? I asked. Not over the phone. Can you meet me? Tonight. Um, I'm actually already meeting Chaz. Briefly, Rudy's mood lifted, as did his accent, revealing more of Ronald. Is he a Hartridge? Nice one. But then he remembered whatever it was that had worried him enough to call me in the first place. Well, look, bring her. Why not? I really need to talk this through with someone, and two heads are better than one, I suppose. Well, can't it wait until tomorrow? I pleaded. The energy coming through the phone line from Rudy was hardly the sort conducive to the romantic evening I was hoping and planning for. Please, Mr. Hartridge. I think I really messed up. I might be in serious trouble. Can you meet me at the theatre? I looked at the clock on my desk. 6.26. I needed to be leaving to pick Chaz up if I wasn't going to be late. I went through my options in my head. I hadn't actually come up with a plan for what Chaz and I were going to do between my collecting her and the 10 o'clock table time that Wilson had secured for us. I thought maybe we'd take a stroll through one of London's parks, ideally avoiding flashes and muggers and perhaps catching an outdoor carol concert of which there were many, all competing for the loose change of passers-by. But, I suppose, showing off my heroic side and how I was held in such esteem by others might be acceptable. Fine. I need to pick Chaz up and we'll swing by the theatre. But we can't be too long. I've booked us a table at the Ritz. The Ritz? <laughs> you are smitten. Don't make me regret this, Rudy. Of course. I'll see you soon at the theatre. Thank you, Mr. Artridge. I hung up and nipped out to grab a cab. The driver noticed my evening attire and wasted no time offering an astute observation. You're dressed very fancy, ain't ya? Thank you. I have a date this evening. A date? Nice. Where are you taking her? Well, to the Ritz, actually. But we've to make a stop off at the theatre first. As soon as I mentioned the Ritz, I saw the blighter's eyes light up. I'd made a tactical error, which, of course, he seized upon. The Ritz? Pooh, I see there. Do you know what impresses a lady more than all that fancy muck, though, mate? He was eyeing me in his rearview mirror. The way a man treats normal, working people like me. Is that so? Oh, yeah. You show up at the old large S and they love it more than any oysters, champagne or what have you. What you want to do, he began, but I already knew I definitely wasn't going to want to do it, is make sure you give me a nice fat tip, see? Now, don't you worry. You don't have to point it out. I'll make a big fuss of it like. Oh, mister, that is too generous, etc. And she'll be weak at her knees in no time. And you'd do that for me? I asked, dripping with sarcasm, but it sailed right over his flat cap wearing head. Course. A quid tip ought to do it. A quid? I can stretch to half a crown. 
It's Christmas, squire. Half a crown isn't cutting the mustard. I was about to tell him the mustard could jolly well stay uncut for all I cared, but we were pulling up outside of Chaz's rooms. She was stood on the street, and a glance through my window took my breath away. I changed tack and quickly bartered with the driver, feeling that anything I could do to shine more brightly in Chaz's sparkly eyes was welcome at any price. How about a crown? I whispered, not taking my eyes off Chaz as the car slowed down. Done, he agreed. And as I tossed him a coin and stepped out to open the door for Chaz, I just heard him mutter, And you have been. (laughs) Good evening, I said to the vision of loveliness before me. Good evening. Nice penguin suit. She smiled back. Penguin suit. (laughs) Very funny. I said, and laughed too loudly, then found myself waddling around with my arms stuck to my sides. What was I doing? What are you doing, you fool? Chided Chaz, but she laughed out loud and playfully hit me on the arm with her clutch bag. I stopped my clowning and opened the door for her. As she stepped in, her bare leg appeared through the slit in the bright red dress she'd mentioned, and I was glad I had hold of the door for support, or I fear I may have swooned. Not the most manly of manoeuvres are swoon. But luckily, I retained control and quickly hopped around the other side and joined her in the back seat. Slight change of plans, I'm afraid, I said to her. Oh? She looked momentarily disappointed, but rallied quickly. Couldn't get a table at the Ritz. Well, never mind. I'm sure wherever we'll go, we'll have fun. We can end up in the Duke of Courland with Jimmy for all I care. What? No, no, I got the table. It's just Rudy Lightfoot called me in a flap and has begged me to sort something out from at the theatre first. I didn't feel it in the spirit of the season to refuse a cry for help, so... I've pushed the table to 10pm, I little white lied. But I certainly got the table. When Peter Archer says he's going to do something, by Juno, he does it. At this point, the driver piped up from the front with a smile. I can attest to that, miss. Mr Archer is here as a regular customer of mine and always treats me well. Why, when he hopped in this evening, first thing he did was tell me he was going to give me a crown for a Christmas tip when we got to the theatre. Isn't that right, Mr Archridge? He flashed me a toothy grin. I gritted my teeth and agreed. He thankfully stayed quiet for the rest of the journey, allowing Chaz and I to have a bit of a catch-up. She told me that the ballet was still closed, no progress had been made towards replacing Daisy or Marlena, and Barrington had signed himself off with stress until after Christmas. She'd not heard anything from Rudy, but had a theory about his anxiety. He'll have finally laid it on too thick with one of the girls and got himself engaged. He's probably hoping you can help him out of it. Or worse, he'll have knocked one of them up. At the thought of Rudy Lightfoot changing nappies, she let out a throaty laugh, and I could have listened to it for years. But sadly, the driver reached a hand back over his seat and announced, That's us who are. Our pleasure as always, Mr. Archridge. I forked over the necessary, what choice did I have, and thanked him with a scowl. The lights were on in the foyer, and my erstwhile morning companion was sat glumly behind the bar. Chrysanthemum! I didn't expect to see you. What are you doing here? It's not Chrysanthemum, and someone has to be here if the theatre is open. It's my turn. I see. Is Rudy about Morag? Morag? She actually smiled at that one. Nope. Rudy is on stage practising. You look nice, Miss McConstance. Thank you. I was certain Chaz knew the girl's name, but the barmaid raised her palm and shook her head. Chaz understood instantly and gave a little giggle. Absolutely. Don't want to ruin your game. We went through to the auditorium, and Rudy was sat cross-legged on the edge of the stage. He wasted no time at all getting to the point. Oh, Archridge, Chaz, I'm so glad you're here. I feel so guilty. I shouldn't have lied. I've been going out my mind. I don't think Marlena and Cakey killed Daisy. And I think it's because of me that the real killer walks free. (laughs) 
Crimes, Clues and Christmas is a New Your Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woodsdorf and Heather Westwell with sound and music by Fred Riding. New Your Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. Mm-hmm.